Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. My name is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. Our episode today continues the discussion around the CHIPS Act. And joining us as our guest is Larry Smith, the chairman of Austin-based Tokyo Electron US. Welcome to the show, Larry. AJ, thanks for the opportunity and I appreciate being able to join you. Well, when we dig into it, we were talking a little bit before the show about Tokyo Electron's work, but could you just give the viewers, the guests who don't know, uh, just, uh, just the listeners who don't know, um, uh, a, ba- a little background on Tokyo Electron's footprint in Austin? Uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're not a widely known company. We really provide technology that enables life uh, through um, equipment that is used by our customers to make microchips. So we will, we will fill a fab full of equipment. Uh, we're the top we're the number third uh, supplier of semiconductor uh, uh, fabrication equipment in the world. Uh, and uh, well, we, unfortunately with the exchange rate right now with Japan, the, the dollar amount fluctuates a little bit on our revenues, uh, but I'll just use the yen number at um, over 2 trillion uh, yen a year is our, is our current um, uh, revenue. And it's really doubled over the last couple of years as the infrastructure for you know, 5G and remote learning and data centers and autonomous cars has rapidly changed. So uh, it's been a unique season for the industry and for our company. So when we talk about the Chips Act, a lot of the focus has been around, you know, the, the, the fabs, the manufacturers of the chips. Can we dig deeper into companies like yours who or the impact of the Chips Act on companies like Tokyo Electron that are, you know, that are part of the downstream ecosystem of this whole industry? Yeah, I appreciate that. That perspective was funny. We had 42 MBA students at our site from Texas A&M last last uh, Friday, and they did kind of a a day of uh, connecting with companies in our ecosystem. So they started at Dell, went to Samsung, and then came to see us. And that's actually a pretty good high-level summary of that ecosystem where, Dell, you've got the computers and the data centers that that need the chips that Samsung can make, and Samsung needs our equipment uh, to make the chips. So that's just a very high-level perspective. But you also have uh, design companies that design the chips. I know you've talked to Tyson Tuttle in the past, and they're a fabulous company that designs chips and then sends them for manufacturing to companies like Taiwan Semiconductor, Intel, Samsung have that foundry capability. And then you also have the material side of things. So one of the critical parts of the materials is photoresist chemicals, gases that go through our equipment to deposit different types of materials on the wafer. And then they also use different gases or wet chemicals to remove the unwanted type of materials that literally put billions of transistors on something the size of our thumbnail. And then, so I think we, you spoke of this a, little, a few weeks ago at the uh, Manufacturers Association Conference, um, but we're looking at workforce, right? So all this is coming down. Um, you know, a big a fab facility comes online, but it's the workforce, you know, what is the back end, it's the workforce, who's running it, Right. And what are things or what are opportunities you think that regions like Central Texas can take advantage of the CHIPS Act, um, you know, beyond the the direct economic economic input of or impact rather of like a Micron or a future other company locating in in the region? Well, I will say that um, the CHIPS Act is incentivizing companies to onshore their manufacturing in the United States. 
due to the geopolitical strategic competition between the U.S. and China. That's mm -hmm. kind of the summary of why they wanted to incentivize companies to build here in the United States. Um, I've been in this business 33 years, and I've never seen the volume of investments that we have on the drawing board right now, to include in Central Texas, You've got uh, Samsung out in Taylor, Texas Instruments up in Richardson and in Sherman, and then also locally within the Austin area, companies NXP, Infineon, and others that are um, expanding their operations to meet the demand of uh, microchips. And so when you look at the workforce development, that expansion, our industry association, SEMI, which represents about 2,200 companies in our ecosystem, they predicted more than 50,000, somewhere in the high range, 50 to 75,000 of jobs needed uh, to really carry out these expansions. And so we're looking at how do we develop the talent? How do we attract the talent? Because it's our industry isn't widely known anymore. It's, it's the Googles, Facebooks, it's the software developers, it's the gamers that are more attractive right now to our young people. Mm -hmm. So as a, a colleague of mine that was in some meetings with universities and Austin Community College, uh, he referred to it as we kind of have an identity problem uh, to really understand what this industry is and to attract that next generation of talent. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So you know, I grew up in Austin and I went to, you might know the high school, the liberal arts, or now it's called LASA, but it was a science academy when I was there. Yeah. I, this is 97, 2001. Because you mentioned the Google thing, because when I was back in my day, when I was in high school, it was all semiconductors, right? We were, I remember we did tours of, um, of fabs in high school. Um, it was the, Motor, the Motorola facility um, down South Austin, now NXP, or, or Freescale and XP, um, but that was semiconductors was the thing, right? Uh, I actually remember yeah. seeing my first, I remember seeing my first gigabyte uh, gigabyte hard drive, and it was huge. <laughs> so, but yeah, it You're was exactly that, I mean, right. I didn't thought about that, but I mean, it's that was you know my my teen years semiconductors. That was the chips and everything. That was everything. So I mean, to that point, you know, in our at least in Central Texas. We have UT here. We have a number of universities in the region. But does it start at the university at the university level, or you know, like again, we were in high school, touring fabs, going to the white room, seeing a wafer, you know, seeing wafers, everything else. You know, does particularly with with uh, Tokyo Electron, what is your y'all engage in the community with like a Austin ISD or other programs to get you know ACC to get or to acclimate or make students aware of what the industry uh, is about. Cause I think you're right. Software and, you know, kind of that, you know, wet, you know, web-based web three is, is everything right now. Yeah. yeah. You bring up a great point in the gap and we're, we're trying to of course correct that right now. So I mentioned last Friday, I was at UT talking to a department chair of how we do maybe summer camps together, get, get students and counselors and administrative officials aware of the great jobs and great paying careers that we have in this industry. So we have to go upstream into that middle school, high school, give them tours, show them what's going on. So then Friday afternoon, I'm with 23, no, I'm sorry, 42 MBA students from AM and just kind of exposing them to our industry. And there's, it's just amazing what we do, but it's not widely known. So as we start to have these conversations, we run what we call a three-day high-tech U for high school students. And we really introduce them to the industry in a really fun way. And so we've got to scale that and to partner with companies or industry associations like SEMI, 
um, University of Texas, ACC. We are now in conversations with all of those uh, groups within Central Texas. And then, you know, there's there's hubs around the United States that are expanding. You know, so you have Arizona uh, is another hub. Ohio is going to become a new greenfield site for Intel. And then uh, New York and Oregon. Uh, there's other pockets, I would say. In fact, in my company, we have 14 different sites around the U.S. where we support semiconductor manufacturers. But yeah, huge opportunity, huge potential. We've got, and then from my personal calling, I believe I'm called to help veterans. You know, so if we have, let's just say 50, 70, 90,000 jobs, 200,000 veterans get out of the service every year. And they've served our country. They have great discipline attributes that translate really quite well into our industry, but they're not aware of it. And, and if I'm a tank mechanic or a helicopter engine mechanic, and th then you start to talk to them about, you know, manipulating atoms to deliver transistors, there's, there's a pretty big intimidation factor there. So there's education, there's awareness, there's opportunities. And then once we got somebody in the company, how do you share it with your friends? Well, I want to touch on that too, because you're, I know you, well, one, you were former military army officer, but served in West, served in West Point, attended West Point, graduated from West Point. Uh, but you were personally involved with a program called the U.S. Army's Partnership for Youth Success. You, can you detail that some more? Yeah, you know, I've been fortunate. Um, a good friend of mine, a lifelong friend, we, we were lieutenants together 38 years ago up at Fort Hood, just north of here. And uh, his name is General Paul Funk. He just retired as a four-star general. And he ran all of the training and doctrine uh, for the U.S. Army. And so a few years ago, when he was the commander at Fort Hood, we started to say, hey, how can I start to hire some of these veterans and integrate them? So we started the process probably five plus years ago. And, and the Army has, has changed their philosophy uh, to create what they call soldiers for life. So, you know, if, if you're talking to a parent about recruiting them into the service, the narratives change from training them to be soldiers to training them with attributes that will help them for the rest of their life. And part of it is how do we then, once they've completed either their initial service commitment or actually retire, how do we help them transition? The PAYS program is part of the recruiting process. And what Tokyo Electron signed up to do is we want to be a veteran-friendly uh, company, and we're recognized by the U.S. government as vet-friendly. And when a recruiter talks to a potential soldier or to a recruit, we guarantee after their service commitment, they get an interview with us. And they have five companies they can select as part of their recruitment process that once they're done, they can come and have an interview. There's no guarantee of a job, but you'll be exposed to that company, get to learn about that company and know that they're vet friendly. There we go. That would help. I was muted for a second. Uh, I want to highlight some of your community engagements. I know we we connected through the Habitat, the Austin Habitat Humanity Board, but um, let me talk about the importance of you know while you're you know you're the chair, you've been formerly president of Tokyo Electron US, major company, a lot going on, but still giving time to the community. I mean the importance of that in your life and some of the uh, groups you are currently involved with or have been involved in the past in Austin. 
AJ, I appreciate that. And I, and I appreciate your service and commitment. You and I were on a you know, CEO selection committee, and I'm really glad to get to know you more personally as far as you serve in the community to try to bring you know, um, affordable housing to the Austin. So you know, sometimes our greatest success is our greatest weakness, and housing is one of our challenges here in, in Central Texas. I, I mentioned part of my calling is to help veterans. I, I, I would say part of my calling is to help veterans get jobs and also help uh, homeless veterans secure uh, uh, homes, you know, get them off the streets. So I do serve uh, on the board of directors with um, Austin Habitat for Humanity, done that for the last six years, but I'm also very active with Mobilos and Fishes and I'm on their board of directors also, but I take it to the next level. Um, I guess it was about seven years ago um, when they were establishing the community first uh, site uh, and actually taking formerly homeless people and, and uh, putting them into housing, either in tiny homes or in RV park homes or RVs. Um, my wife and I moved from our 3,900 square foot home on three acres out in Dripping Springs, which was very comfortable, uh, to a 380 square foot uh, RV for the last five and a half years. So not only in action, but time, talents, and treasures, I think, are important. So uh, we lived in that community for about five and a half years with COVID moved off about 10 minutes north, but still very active with that. And, um, and they have phase three and phase four now, very actively supported from the Austin-based community to try to solve that chronic, not solve, that's not the right, try to mitigate uh, the homeless problem. But in my case, I'm working with a couple of different foundations of what I would cast a vision of neighborhoods of knowingness around the veteran community. And so we've got a foundation interested in investing in that. And then they want to replicate that literally over uh, the 50 United States. So yeah, I'm passionate about those two areas while I continue to work in the marketplace. Um, as meeting people like yourself, there's blessings from service. And uh, both that. of those organizations have blessed me tremendously and in ways that sometimes just don't show up on a financial uh, worksheet. Amen to that. Uh, Larry, thank you for your time. Larry Smith is the chairman of Tokyo Electron US. Larry, I want to thank you for both you know, getting your time here, past service uh, with our country, and then your service to the community as well in Austin. Thank you, AJ. It's a pleasure uh, to spend time with you and continue to serve together.